Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Verses 20 and 21. By now, some of you see a pattern developing. You just left the bulletin from last week there, and you that's where we'll be. Let me give you a hint. Leave this week's bulletin there at the same text. Uh, we're not done with it even after um, uh, today. We've been looking at the authentic gospel in the uh, book of Galatians. Uh, we've seen that that authentic gospel has to do with the grace of God in Jesus Christ, adding nothing to it, not any religion, not any law, not any legalism, merit, nothing at all added to this gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Uh, we come to Galatians 2.20 again, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And these next lines are the ones I want for us to think about this morning. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself, gave his life for me. You know, a lot of people will say, well, of course God loves you. That's his job. He has to love you. I mean, that, that's all God does. Everybody knows that God loves you. Let me suggest to you, not everybody knows that. I mean, in our society, in our culture, coming out of uh, uh, Western European traditions and those kinds of things, heavenly laced with, heavenly influenced by uh, the Christian tradition, Christian thought, Christian teaching, um, coming out of that angle, yes, we say a lot, God is love, God loves us, God loves you. And, and we all believe that uh, sort of generically and sort of as a society. But let me suggest to you that that is not the natural thing that people think. I mean, the, the religions of the ancient Near East in which Israel came into being, they didn't think their gods loved them. The Assyrians did not think the gods loved them. The Babylonians didn't think it. The Canaanites did not think it. They thought the gods were at war and were fighting and contending and fooling around with each other and human beings were just sort of caught in the middle of it all and the best you could hope for in life was placating the gods so that they wouldn't get really, really mad at you. But if you went to a Babylonian or an Assyrian and a Canaanite and you said, you know, God loves you, they would have said, no way. That's not what gods do. That was the ancient Near East. But you go to the religions of Rome and of Greece and the pantheon of gods, they didn't have the idea that God loves me or any of the gods love me. They just figured the gods were up there in Olympus doing their thing, coming down off the mountain every now and then to kind of complicate life. But the notion that God is love and that God loves them was completely alien to Greco-Roman culture. You go to the subcontinent of India, study the religions of India. We call it that Hinduism. It's a little more complex than that. But you look at the religious systems of that subcontinent, you don't get the sense that there is a God who loves us. You get a sense that there are a whole bunch of gods with a whole lot of stories that you can tell in, te uh, in Technicolor movies. And they're kind of interesting, but the idea that there is a God who loves you is not there. 
You go to the Far East and Buddhism and Shintoism, Confucianism, Taoism, they do not teach that there is a God who loves you. I mean, just the vast majority of human cultures do not believe that God loves you. You go to the ancient religions or the religions of the Americas, the indigenous religions of North and South America, ask the Incas if there's a God who loves them as they're busy with their human sacrifice. Ask the Aztecs, better yet, ask the people that the Aztecs would conquer and then take by the tens of thousands and sacrifice to the gods. Ask them if there's a God who loves them. What I'm suggesting to you is that this idea that there is a God who loves you comes from just one source, and that is the book. That is God's revelation of himself to the people of Abraham. That is God's revelation to, of himself to his chosen people, that he is a God who loves them, who sets them free, who's vitally involved for their well-being in their lives. That comes out of the scriptures, out of the Bible. It is the teaching of the Judeo-Christian scriptures, whatever Islam teaches about the love of Allah, and it is very small. It has some element of Allah loves you if you behave yourself. But that is taken from the Jews and the Christians. So really, it all comes back to God's revelation of himself to Abraham and to the people of Abraham. That's where it comes from. Next time you're talking with somebody and they say, yeah, God loves everybody, say, where did you get that? Where did you get that? Are you a prophet? Did God give you a revelation? God loves everybody? No, I was always taught that. Who taught you that and why? I learned it in church. Huh? You see? So this idea that God loves you is very much a, uh, a, 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 um, based and founded in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now there's a generic sense, sort of a general sense in which you can say God loves everybody. I mean, I, I, Absolutely. God created everybody. God created the universe. He created the whole world. There's nothing that exists that God did not create. And God loves his creation. He looked at it and said, you know, this is really good stuff going on here. I mean, he, he said that at the end of every day. This is really good. This is really good. And so God loves his creation. It, it, it delights him. It brings him praise. It brings him glory. And so in that sense, God loves the world. It is his to love. It is his to be reflected, his glory reflected in there. So God loves the entirety of creation. There's a general sense in which God loves everyone and everything. But God is a jealous God. He is a zealous God. God is jealous for you. God is jealous for me. Oh, before you think, oh, what a terrible thing. Isn't jealousy a bad thing? Not when you love somebody so much you cannot stand to see anyone else hurt them. God is jealous for his creation, and he will not abide the sin that destroys his creation. He will not abide the rebellion against his will that injects death and destruction into his creation. God is a jealous God. He is jealous for his creation. He loves it so much, he will not abide sin. That's why the wrath of God and the love of God are not contradictory. The one arises out of the other. God loves you too much to allow the sin in your life. And God loves you too much 
to just with a wink and a nod pass by and say it just doesn't matter. It does matter because of his great love. God is jealous for his creation. And he loves his creation so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross. Jesus said, you know, there's no greater love than this. When a man gives up his life for his friend, you don't find a greater instance of love than this than when someone is willing to pay the absolute price for the sake of his friend. And oh, God sent his son and Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And there the power of sin was put to death. It was put to death in the life of the believer. As we believe in Christ, we put our faith in him. The power of sin over our lives is done away. We have freedom. We are set free from that sin. We are set free into the grace of God. So in the believer's life, sin is destroyed. But in creation and in the world, one day, everything that Satan has done to destroy the world will be undone, Satan defeated, cast into the lake of fire, new creation, heaven and earth, come down, there is no more sea, and that perfection of creation has sin expunged from it. And let me tell you, that is by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, God loves his creation, and he sent his son to die on the cross to take away the sin that's destroying creation. God loves his people, and he loves them to the point that he does not leave them alone. He does not abandon them. He sends his Holy Spirit to draw us ever to the Father. You ever have those moments when you just felt drawn to God? You think you manufactured that? You think it was because some music on the, on, the, uh, uh, on the radio? You think that was because you read an inspiring book? If you're drawn to the Father, that's the Father sending the Holy Spirit to draw you to him. That's the work of his love in your life. That's how you know he loves you. You know, whenever you've, you've done some of those things that you know are against his will and the, and the guilt just sort of flows over you and you just, just know that, that something's wrong and you just can't wait to have it made right again, that's the work of God's love and the Holy Spirit convicting of sin that we might come back to him. See, that's how God loves us. So there's, there's sort of a general sense in which, yeah, God loves everybody, but he loves in a specific way. You see, that's why... Paul said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those two things, loved me, gave himself for me, they're joined together in the New Testament. Sometime Google it. Or look it up in a concordance if you're old-fashioned. The number of times the love of God is linked to the cross of Jesus Christ. I'll give you just one example. In uh, Ephesians 5.25, Paul is talking about marriage, and he's talking about the, 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 the wives should um, uh, uh, submit to their husbands as to the Lord, and that's a different sermon. But then he gets to the husband, and he says, Husbands, love, love, love your wives. As you, you have this memorized by now, don't you guys? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Linked together. This, by the way, is why marriage is not just about your happiness and it's not just about your feeling good about yourself and it's not just about two people having a committed relationship one with another. Marriage is a reflection of the love of God in Jesus Christ that poured out the life of Christ for the sake of the bride. That's what marriage is about. So, 
The rest of you are applauding on the inside. <laughs> so Christ loved the church, and that meant he gave himself for her, that he might clean her up and make her spotless and blameless and present her to the Father holy and acceptable before the Father's throne. That's what the love of God is, and that's what it does in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, this life that I'm living now, I'm living by faith. He says, I used to live by religion. Didn't work. I used to live by trying to be good and keep the law and, and all the do's and don'ts. That just frustrated me. I used to live by trying to be better than everybody else as long as I was on the upper end of the bell-shaped curve of the of the grading curve as long as i was in the in the in the 99th percentile well that that i, I tried it that way and that wasn't good enough said so i tried all kinds of ways to know god and not a one of them brought me to the father until his great love reached out to me and grabbed me by the collar and said saul i've got a different way of life for you i am going to bring you to my throne through christ the Holy Spirit worked in his life and changed his life. This, this is the, the testimony of every believer in this room. I've been crucified with Christ. No, it's not like it was a partnership. He did half, I did half. It wasn't as though he showed me how I could be crucified, so now by imitating him, he was crucified first, and now I'm crucified second. No, I was crucified in Christ, with Christ in this sense, that when Jesus died on the cross, my old man of sin was taken and put to death. My sin was put to death. The penalty was paid. The price was, was, was redeemed. I was set free because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul said, I live now by faith. Not by works, not by religion, not by law. I live by faith, by trust. I put my hope in Jesus Christ. And so now I live by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now can any sense the magnitude of the pronouns there? See, a moment ago we were reading in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and it said that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And I, I, I can kind of understand that. Uh, the, you know, we're, we're, we're a segment of the church. The whole church is here, but we're not the whole church, if you get what I mean. If you don't, ask me later. But the, uh, the, the thing is, you know, we're, we're the church gathered here. You are fine people. You're just wonderful people. You're the finest people I know. You're the creme de la creme. You're the summit of, of humanity. Don't let anybody tell you different. You're the best people on the planet. And I can understand Christ dying for you. I can't understand him dying for me. Oh, you say, well, pastor, I'm a sinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all sinners. And so I, I, I just have this, yeah, it's sort of generic, this sort of, fuzzy sort of thing, sinner, yeah, you're sinners, but not that bad a sinner, you know, you're pretty nice people and all that. But folks, when I think about my sin, I don't think about generic sin. When I think about sin, I don't think about just some big clumpy thing called sin. I think about dates and times and places and peoples and words that I've said and things that I've done. And when they come flooding back, I'm ashamed of myself. When I think of sin, my sin, it's not just some sort of throwaway line, oh, I'm a sinner. When I think of my sin, I think of the actual moment when I turned my back on God and rebelled against Him. I can give you reasons, I can give you explanations, I can give you psychological analyses, but all I can tell you is this, is that I am the chief of sinners. The chief of sinners. Paul would have told you that. 
I mean, look at Paul. Uh, Paul the Apostle, we, uh, we look at him and say, well, you know, there, there's a guy who, who was used to plant churches all over the known world. He, there was Paul who, who, who spread the gospel, Paul who, who gave us much of the New Testament scriptures. There was Paul who, who brought an understanding of how the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Covenant in Christ. Uh, there, there's Paul who's done all these outstanding things. I sure understand Jesus loving him. But Paul would have said, wait one minute. If you look at my life, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see someone who murdered people. You're going to see someone who persecuted the church, put the people of God in prison. You're going to see someone who blasphemed the name of God. And it's Paul who said of himself, I am the chief of sinners. I am the foremost of sinners. If you put a list of sinners, I am number one up there. That was Paul's understanding. And that's who wrote, I have faith in the Son of God who loved me. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? But in Christ Jesus, God loves you. Christ loves you in an overwhelming way. You know, sometimes we, we struggle with that. We struggle with it because we've got difficulties and problems. We come to Christ, say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. We're baptized. And then things fall apart. That's because the adversary comes after you. But, uh, you know, we, we had problems. We come to Christ. We, we gave our heart to Jesus. But now it's going to solve everything. It's going to change how I think. It's going to change my emotions. It's going to change how I, how I feel. It's going to change my appetite. It's going to take away temptation. We think all that's going to happen. And then we run into reality in which we still live in a fallen world, still live in a sinful world, still are confronted with people all around us who have no interest in our walking with Christ. And it's all working to drag us down. And sure enough, we get tired, we get exhausted, we get confused, we get discouraged, and we're stumbling and we're faltering and we, and, and we find ourselves on the ground and we say, how could God love me? I told him I loved him. I accepted Christ. And look where I am now. Here's how you know Jesus loves you. They dragged the woman out and threw her in front of him, said, Jesus, we caught her in the very act of adultery. This woman deserves to die. Jesus, you know the story, but Jesus eventually dismissed the people by showing them their own sin, and they left, and finally it was just Jesus and this woman. He says, where's the condemnation? He says, who's here to condemn you? She says, there's nobody here. He says, I don't condemn you either. Get up. Go your way. Sin no more. Here's how you know Jesus loves you. He corrects you, but he does not condemn you. Jesus corrects you. He reproves those whom he loves. He sends the disciplining power of the Holy Spirit into your life. He redirects you. He makes you unhappy when you're sinning. He, he draws you to the Father. Jesus corrects you, but there is no condemnation for them which are in Christ Jesus. That's how you know he loves you. You know he loves you because when you've been exhausted, he's been raring to go. You know he loves you because when you've been doubtful, he's had all the confidence in the world in what he can do in you. You know he loves you because when you were walking in the darkness, he was still the light. You know he loves you because when you had nothing but a list of failures, he held up just one list of success. And that is the cross. You know he loves you 
because he's never given up on you. You know he loves you because he's never allowed you to settle for anything less than a relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you know Jesus loves you. You can know he loves you. Paul said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what he's talking about. It might be a little conceptual at this moment in your life. There might be some things going on, but the Holy Spirit of God given to every believer is telling you that God's love never fails. If I had the words memorized, I'd just break into singing, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Oh, the deep love of Jesus. Beloved, if you do not know Christ this morning, I pray before you leave this place, before you leave your pew, you will ask Him into your heart and experience the love He has for you when He died in your place and gave Himself on the cross for you. And so Paul, with this sort of uh, amazing, overwhelming sense, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In a moment, we come to the Lord's table. At the Lord's table, we hear once again God saying, I love you this much. The broken body of my Son, his shed blood. Once again, you see the love that gives everything for us. In a few moments, we come to that table that we can tell him we love him too. Pray with me, please. Father, I ask now that your Holy Spirit would work in our midst in these next few moments for the believer who has wandered off and is now just living um, a thoughtless, careless life. I pray for the convicting work, the reproving, correcting work of your Spirit. Father, for the one here who does not know Jesus, I pray that the power and the conviction would come to bring about confession that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And then as we come to this table, how we thank you that you love us the, the way you do. And we're overwhelmed that we can say with Paul, we have faith in the Son of God who loved us, gave himself for us. I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.